have Genesis 17 open as that will be our, our main focus. We'll refer to Galatians, but our main focus this morning will be Genesis 17 as we consider together God's everlasting covenant. Covenant renewal. I would guess for most of us those two words don't produce a great deal of excitement. Perhaps it sounds a bit strange, a bit dry, a bit theoretical. Perhaps some of us have some idea about the word covenant. We know that it's a Bible word. We know perhaps that it refers to God's promises and our relationship to him. But what about that word renewal? What does covenant renewal mean? Some of you might be wondering why is our church carrying out what we call covenant renewal at all? Uh, It's not something that we hear other churches talking much about. Uh, Maybe you think it sounds a bit more Old Testament than New Testament. If you think, is there really any need for covenant renewal in the church today? Well, my intention over the next few weeks is to try to answer some of those questions. And and my hope and prayer is that as we prepare for our covenant renewal service on the 27th of November, that these questions will have been answered for you. And it will be clear in our minds, not just about the answers to these questions and why covenant renewal is important, but that in fact we'll be eager Uh, To carry it out. It's not as strange as you might think. Think of that word renewal for a moment. It's actually a word that we do use every so often in our everyday lives. Uh, Say for example your passport is about to expire just when you've planned a foreign holiday. Uh, What do you do? You renew your passport. You, You go and get your photograph taken. You fill in the information on the form. You get your minister to sign the back of your photograph. And you you renew your passport. Now virtually none of the information has changed on the passport. Your name, your address, your date of birth. It's all the same as it was before. There might sadly be a few more wrinkles on the face in the new photograph. But you are renewing your passport. Your public declaration is the same as it was before. This is still who I am. Or take another example. Some, Some people choose... To renew their wedding vows at various uh, <coughs> at a specific moment in their marriage, all kinds of reasons a couple might choose to do this. Uh, maybe there was marital unfaithfulness, which by God's grace has been confessed and repented of, and the couple have reconciled and they and they want to renew their commitment to one another. Or maybe more positively, it's it's a big milestone wedding anniversary. They. They've been together for 20 or 40 or 60 years. And they want to mark that by renewing the vows that they took all those years ago. By doing so, they're not committing themselves to anything different from what they were committed to before. They're not adding anything on to the vows they've already made. They're already husband and wife. But by renewing their vows publicly, they are recommitting themselves to the relationship that they're already in. So when we renew something, we we don't enter into any new arrangements. We don't make new commitments. We renew and remind ourselves about commitments that we've already made. Those of us who are Christians have made public commitments to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a member of this church or, or any other church, you have taken public vows. 
I accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the word of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, the only redeemer of men, and so on. There was a date and a time, it'll be written in our session minute book, when you publicly made those vows for the first time. And even if you never renew those vows again, you're still bound by those vows. It's the most solemn and serious commitment anyone can ever make to publicly vow faith and obedience in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even if you never renewed those vows again, you would still be bound by them for the rest of your life. But what we see from Scripture, friends, is that it is good and sometimes even necessary for us to renew our public allegiance to Jesus. There's a way in which we actually do this quite regularly already. When we take the Lord's Supper together, each time we come to the Lord's table, I remind you as members of the church of the vows that you have made, and it's the fact that it's upon, uh, it's the fact that you have made those vows that you're welcome to come to the Lord's table. And by taking the bread and the wine, we publicly declare again that we are united to Christ by his body and blood on the cross. But there is another way to engage in covenant renewal. And that is to make a a written or a vocal public commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, not binding ourselves to anything additional. Not taking on any new commitments that we shouldn't already have made if we've responded to the gospel. But rather additionally binding ourselves to our commitments. Making those commitments afresh. The last time our denomination did this uh, was in 1990, 32 years ago. Uh, And so many of you at that point, well, there was no Dromore congregation. Some of you were maybe meeting here in the hopes that one day there would be a congregation, but there was no congregation. And so (coughs) Dromore didn't make that uh, covenant renewal in 1990. Some of you perhaps weren't members of the RP Church in 1990. Some of you perhaps weren't even born. Or some of us were too young to remember 1990. And so this is something quite new for us as a congregation. But one of the reasons that our synod took the decision that we should renew our covenant in 2022. Is because of the drastic further slide into sin that we have seen our nation engage in. In the 32 years since 1990. Uh, To quote from the the 2022 Covenant Commitment, which is again on the table at the back there, uh, the document that we'll sign in a few weeks' time, here's part of what it says. We grieve over the secularism which has come to dominate our nations, a total rejection of God's ways and God's word. We grieve over the systematic eradication of God's design for humanity, the devaluing and destruction of human life. The redefining of marriage, the loss of the Sabbath as a day holy to the Lord. We grieve that these things are celebrated as progress and the word of God is neglected. And the commitment goes on as well to confess our own sins as individuals and as a denomination. Because we are, like every church, we are not a perfect denomination. And we sin against God. And so the point is, friends, there are good reasons to renew our public commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ in 2022. To declare in a time when so many of the beliefs and behaviours of our nation have changed for the worse. 
that God's word is unchanging and that our commitment to it should be unchanging as well. And so today I want us to consider to what we are renewing our commitment. What is the covenant that we are uh, renewing our commitment to? What does the word covenant mean? Uh, there's perhaps no better passage to turn to in scripture to answer those questions than, <coughs> than Genesis 17. Uh, the word covenant is used 10 times in the first 14 verses of this chapter. And almost every time it's used in reference to God, he says, it's God speaking. He says, it's my covenant or it's the covenant that I will make between me and you. Covenant is clearly the main thing in this chapter, friends. And as Reformed and confessional Presbyterians, we believe the covenant is the main thing in the whole Bible. We believe the Bible is one story unfolding through all those different books, through all those years. Uh, But it is one story. Uh, Remember a couple of weeks ago in Revelation 12, we saw that story in summary form. uh, The woman and the dragon and the child. And we saw that that is a summary story of the whole Bible. That God responded to the sin of Adam and Eve when they fell uh, by making promises to them. Covenant promises. And then Satan, the dragon, comes after God's people and even tries to destroy God's son, the child of the woman. And yet the child, the Lord Jesus, is triumphant over the devil. That's God's promise, friends. That's his covenant unfolding throughout Scripture. The same promise unfolding in different ways at different times. A covenant promise. A covenant is more than just an agreement or a contract. A covenant is a solemn, binding, personal commitment between two parties. A solemn, binding, personal commitment between two parties. The Hebrew word means to be bound together. Uh, It's been described as a bond of love, this covenant between God and his people. A commitment that cannot be broken. And that's what Genesis 17 is all about. It's, it's such a crucial text. Uh, it's like a, a load-bearing wall, you might say, for the rest of Scripture. It's a chapter that reminds us that salvation is entirely God's work and God's gift. A gift that comes packaged to us in the form of a covenant. And so for the rest of our time today, we're going to just think, first of all, about the God who establishes covenant. And then the response he requires to the covenant, the God who establishes covenant and the response he requires to his covenant. Look at Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Abram is 99 years old, and yet he still has no legitimate son. God willing, in the new year, we're going to begin studying the life of Abraham. And we'll think more about this. But at this point in his life, Abraham or Abram's only son is an illegitimate son, Ishmael. And Ishmael is 13 years old. He is the son of Hagar, uh, the servant girl in Abram's household. He is not a legitimate heir. Uh, And yet Abram, at 99 years old, has been waiting and waiting for God to fulfill this promise to him that he will have a legitimate son by his wife, uh, Sarai. Look how God speaks to Abram here in Genesis 17 verse 1. 
I am God Almighty. El Shaddai in Hebrew. A, word, a name that points to God's power, God's strength. A God who can do what seems impossible to us. Notice, friends, this is where the covenant comes from. This is where it all starts with God Almighty. He comes to us. He comes to Abram, feeble, old, on death's door, physically speaking, almost powerless in a human sense. And all-powerful, almighty God comes and says to him, I am going to do these things for you. Genesis 17 is all about covenant And it is all about God talking about what he will do. God marks this turning point in Abram's life by changing his name. Verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. God doesn't ask Abraham to provide anything. All the blessing, all the benefit flows one way from God, the all-powerful God, to powerless, old, tired Abraham. It's a covenant established by God. Many church buildings, other buildings as well, uh, around the country, they, they, they bear the date of their completion. There's maybe a stone inscribed with the date that it was completed, or it says established in whatever year it was established, or or maybe a product that's sold by some business. Uh, it says established in whatever the year that it was invented. And so all the credit goes to the person who established it, who created it. He or she did it. He or she is rightly credited with the work. This beautiful thing that, that we all enjoy is here because of this particular person. Well, friends, this beautiful covenant exists. Because God Almighty made it. He established it. And there are three things in particular that he promises to Abraham as part of this covenant. Notice they're all things that God will do. First of all, he promises life to Abraham. Verse 6. Life. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And so Abraham is not just going to have a family of 2.4 children. He'll have whole nations that trace their lineage back to him. Life will come through Abraham. As unlikely as that seems for a man who is 99 years old with no legitimate son. Life will come to him and through him down through the generations. In the Old Testament era, children were... A guarantee of security in later life. And of course a guarantee that your family name would live on after you had died. And so that's why there's that great emphasis on children in the Old Testament. They're described as a blessing from the Lord. And uh, you think of books like Ruth that emphasize the need for an heir in the family. Uh, and and we, we still count children a great blessing from God today. And part of the covenant today. Uh, but they really were, they were a physical picture from God in that day that life would go on into the future. That after you had gone, life with your name upon it would continue. And God promises Abraham here beyond a shadow of a doubt that that life will exist in his family circle. His family line rather. 
And so he promises life to Abraham. He also promises land to Abraham. Verse 8. I will give to you. Again the emphasis on God. I will give to you and to your offspring after you. The land of your sojournings. All the land of Canaan. For an everlasting possession. And again at this point in Abraham's life friends. He owns barely a scrap of Canaan. He isn't from Canaan. He's from the land of Ur. And God says to him, I'm going to give you this whole land and your offspring will have it as well. You will have an everlasting possession. Land. A place to call your own forever. Then the last thing that God promises to Abraham, we could sum it up by saying it's a, a loving, lasting commitment. A loving, lasting commitment. At the end of verse 7, God says this will be an everlasting covenant and that he will be God. He says, I will be God to you and again your offspring after you. One writer says that this last promise is God saying to Abraham, I will be for you. My power, my person will be available to you for whatever you need. I will exist for you. I will exercise my godness. My almightiness. For you. And your offspring after you. Friends there can be no more glorious promise. (coughs) Than that. Think of times when we're reassured. Maybe the first day you start a new job. And someone who. Uh, you're you're blessed to have someone who comes up to you who's been doing the job for years and years and is just willing to say, look, I'm going to be with you all day today. And if you need me tomorrow, I'll be with you all day tomorrow. You'll have my expertise. You'll have my experience. You can ask me anything. Any problems you have, I'll be here, here to help you with it. And it just puts you at ease and you think, I can do this because this person is with me. Well, Almighty God says to Abraham, I will be with you. He comes to this tired, feeble, childless old man. A man who is staring death in the face at the age of 99. And he makes a covenant, a solemn binding promise to bless him in every possible way. And friends, we believe that these beautiful, glorious promises that God made to Abraham of life and land and loving, lasting commitment. Friends, we believe that they have been extended and built upon and fully established in Jesus Christ. And that in Christ they are offered to all of us today. You might think, well, how do we know that? That that seems a bit of a leap, you might say. Uh, Jesus' name appears nowhere in Genesis 17. This is thousands of years before Jesus was even born. Well, again... We believe that the Bible is one story being unfolded across all the different books. And when we read the rest of the story, uh, we read how this covenant unfolds. God promised children to Abraham. And of course that included biological children, Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes and David. And yes, eventually, biologically, even Jesus himself. But in the truest sense, friends, the children of Abraham are also those who share the faith of Abraham. Who share the faith that he had in these promises that God made. 
Paul says in Galatians 3.17, it is those of faith who are blessed, uh, who are the sons of Abraham rather. It is those of faith who are his offspring, he says at the end of Galatians 3. If you, if you believe in the same gospel that Abraham believed in, if you believe in the same covenant promises that Abraham believed in, then that is what makes you a son of Abraham. Not your biological family tree. God also promised life to Abraham. And friends, in Jesus Christ, we have the fulfillment of that promise. Not just that we might have children living after we die, but that we ourselves will be resurrected after we die. That we are never to die again. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He who believes in me will never die. And so friends, a better guarantee even than than the possibility of children living after us. We have the guarantee of our own life enduring after we have left this scene of time. That in Jesus Christ we have the hope of resurrection. That in Jesus Christ we have a whole new world and a whole new life to look forward to in eternity. In Jesus Christ we have the promise of land. And this is again Canaan. The land of Canaan when Abraham's descendants eventually did take it. It was just a foretaste. It was just a a picture to them of something even better still to come. Namely the new heavens and the new earth. A whole new world. And in Jesus Christ, friends, we have the promise of God's lasting, loving commitment to us. Jesus came down to earth from heaven. Emmanuel, God with us. Just as God said to Abraham here, I will be their God. I will be with you and be your God forever. You see, friends, God has come to us with these same covenant promises in Jesus Christ. While we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. If you're a Christian today, you were a dead man or a dead woman walking. You were alive physically, but you were dead spiritually. Even more so than Abraham was at the age of 99. And yet God came to you and breathed new life into you by his spirit and said, I will be your God. God to you and to your offspring after you. I promise to do these things for you. To give you life and land and love. God just offers these things to his friends. And he says they are yours by faith. That's his covenant. His everlasting covenant. And so the God who establishes covenant. And then uh, leading quite naturally on to this. Finally today we think about the response God requires to the covenant. The response God requires to the covenant. (coughs) God requires faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Look at verse 10. Look at the command God gives for Abraham and his sons. The way they were to show that they believe God's promises. Verse 10. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so just to be clear, this, this involved the cutting off of the excess flesh on the male reproductive organ. 
A mark on the most intimate part of a man's body. A mark on the man to remind him that his offspring is covered by this promise. And circumcision was a a public statement, friends. In this case, by Abraham and his family at the time. And then a statement down through the generations of Abraham's family. I believe the God who made these promises. I believe that God's covenant will be everlasting. That it will be extended to the next generation, to my children and, and their children and so on. We believe, of course, today that baptism has replaced circumcision as the sign of God's covenant. Uh, Paul equates the two of those. He equates circumcision and baptism in Colossians 2, 11 and 12. He's speaking here, of course, of spiritual circumcision and baptism. Uh, but he says in Colossians 2, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so physical circumcision was the old covenant sign. Baptism is, or water baptism I should say, is the New covenant, sign and seal. But those physical signs are only signs, friends. They point to something else. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Not his circumcision, not the outward sign, but his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And by being circumcised and by circumcising all the males in his household, Abraham was demonstrating that faith. He was putting that faith into action. His faith in God's covenant promises. Remember Abraham had to demonstrate his faith at other times in his life as well. You remember how God tested him by commanding him to treat his son Isaac as a sacrifice to be offered up to God. Abraham demonstrated tremendous faith, uh, telling Isaac, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. And again, friends, the rest of Scripture makes clear that the true sons of Abraham are not those who can trace their biological line back, not only those who can trace their biological line back to him, and not necessarily those who can trace their line back to him, but those who have the same faith as him. In John chapter 8, Jesus was being interrogated as he often was by the Pharisees, these self-righteous men who were so proud to be Jewish and to be the descendants of Abraham. And you remember what Jesus said to them, John 8 verse 39, if you were really Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. It's hard for us to imagine how scandalous a thing that was for Jesus to say. Uh, These people who were so proud to be the descendants of Abraham. Jesus says, you're not descendants of Abraham. You don't have his faith. You don't live the way Abraham lived. And then he insults them even more. John 8, 44, he says, you're of your father, the devil. You're, you're, You're children of the devil, Jesus says. Remember, these Pharisees could trace their biological ancestry all the way back to Abraham. They were very proud to be able to do that. 
but they weren't living the same faith as Abraham, Jesus says. A faith that would have shown itself in how they lived, in their humble obedience to God's commands, in their realization and their understanding and their faith that Jesus, who spoke to them, was the Son of God Himself, the Messiah that the Old Testament promised. They had no faith. And therefore they had no works that proved, that demonstrated that faith. What about you today, dear friend? What is your response to God's covenant promises? He comes to you today and he says you can have life and land and love. In some way or other, that is exactly what everybody in our nation today is looking for. Life. The best life. And they work and they work and they work to have that life. That life might look like living in a particular postcode or living in a particular type of house or living a particular lifestyle or having particular things. And people say, this is the life. Jesus says, no, I am the way and the truth and the life. Or people are looking for love. We thought about this last week, the whole issue of sexuality and Gender identity and marriage. And people think if I could only have that particular relationship. Maybe if I identify that particular way. I'll have love. Or people think if I pour myself into my children. And and really just make my life all about them. I'll find fulfillment or I'll have love. And people quite literally look for land. They they put their hope again in, in, in owning, possessing some particular place or some particular thing. And all of it, friends, is like sand falling through our fingers. Some of those things are good things to enjoy and God blesses us with them in, in, in a great measure in our part of the world. But they do not guarantee everlasting life and they do not give us the purpose and the reassurance that we need. Only God's covenant can do that. And so in a world of broken promises, do you believe in the promises of God that are unbroken? The God who can give you life and land and love. If you do believe those promises, if you have professed faith in this covenant-making God, then friends, it should be no trouble for you. Indeed, it should be a welcome opportunity To publicly renew your covenant commitment to this God in a few weeks time. Yes that needs to be done after careful thought and prayer and confession of sin. That's why we're taking these weeks now to think more carefully about what we're going to do. But it should be no trouble for you to simply state again. This is the covenant that I believe in. This is the king that I trust in. This is the one that I'm looking to to give me life. And land and love. Paul says in Galatians 3.14. In Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's to us. So that we might receive the promise. The promised spirit through faith. It's faith that justifies friends. Not anything that we can do. Not anything that we would own. Not anything that we would achieve. And yet there, is another, <coughs> there, there was another requirement in this covenant and that was obedience. 
God told Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. Be blameless. Trouble was, of course, Abraham was not a blameless man. He'd already sinned with Hagar, which led to the birth of Ishmael. Genesis tells us about other sins of Abraham as well. And so, friends, what Abraham needed and what we all need is a substitute. Someone who can meet the requirements of the covenant for us. (coughs) And on the cross, friends, Jesus became our substitute. He took our place so that all the curses for disobeying the covenant would fall upon him. And all the blessings of the covenant, life and land and love, could be given to us. Because Jesus' obedience had earned that life and land and love. Paul says in Galatians 4 verse 4, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, that we might receive the blessings of the covenant. And so friends, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then you belong in this covenant. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, the promises of this covenant of life and land and love are yours. This is the gospel in all its fullness and glory. This is what we as Christians, as members of this church, have declared our faith to be in already. And so as we come in a few weeks' time to sign our 2022 covenant commitment, friends, we are renewing our commitment to this To Jesus Christ. We're making a public statement once again. To say that he is our king. And our shepherd. And our saviour. And that we trust in him alone. To give us the life. And the land. And the love. That all of us. Like Abraham. Are looking for. Amen.